Hi, this is Steve. It was never supposed to be anything important. Just one of 50 films Warner Brothers released that year. It was the big break for a first-time leading man who had spent most of the last decade playing gangsters. The leading actress had been close to quitting the business and couldn't wait for this film to end so she could move on to her next job. Four different writers had their hands in the script and nobody had any idea how the movie was going to end until a few days before they shot it. And yet, somehow, this improbable film became one of the most beloved movies in the history of American cinema. Casablanca, directed by Michael Curtiz and starring Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, was made 75 years ago. And it is still as thrilling, funny, romantic, and stirring as it was the day it premiered. It is, without question, one of the great American classics. In fact, AFI ranks it as the number three American film of all time. John and I have a fantastic time talking about it, and we can't wait for you to join us for Casablanca this Friday on The Cinephiles. Play it once, then, for all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, then. Play as time goes by. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist and host and writer and producer here in Los Angeles. Um... An occasional actor, but uh, that's dying more and more. So, well, you are full timing it so much a collider. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about the life of an actor is that you got to have that. Oh, tomorrow at two o'clock, I have to get some sides down and go yeah. across the Santa Monica to sit in a room for two hours <laughs> and wait to go in and have three minutes with a director. I'm not gonna lie to you, I don't miss it. I'm, that is, I don't miss it. Well, this is the thing, and I, you know, I say this to people. You know, I have students just like, oh, I'm mm. interested in acting. It's like you understand that the that a successful actor, yeah. you know, not, not a movie star, but someone right. who is making their living ish as an actor is somebody who is spending, is doing that three or four times a week oh, yeah. to get rejected constantly mm -hmm. and, you know, disrespected and abused a fair amount of the time as sure. they drive across town with their, you know, getting all dressed up to go sit in a room and then, you know, mm -hmm. look at a bunch of other people that look like them and then go home. Yeah. Oh, well, the worst is when you take, when you drive for an hour and a half in traffic to get somewhere you're there and the audition is literally five to 10 minutes and you yeah. get back in your car and drive all the way back an hour and a half back to your house in traffic. You're like, I just spent three and a half hours and then you never get the call. Nothing. Like, nothing. And, no, and, and they don't tell you that you didn't get no, it. No, I mean, no, They don't even give you. They don't even call you to tell you, no, no we're not looking for you. As soon as you don't hear, you, you have to divine that for yourself. Well, and sometimes what you're going across town to do is to say, it's delicious. Yeah. Or worse. That's it. Or not anything. Yeah. And you're improving without speaking at all, and you're looking at things and you know, uh, simulating as if you're seeing it for the first time right. or tasting it or experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Like, can you do a happy dance that you got your new car <laughs> right, or exactly. that this thing is delicious or whatever? You know, it's like so... And it's hard to get into that place when you've been driving for an hour and a half to get there through all the traffic and the shitty LA drivers and you're just like, okay, now I've got to conjure up this emotion. But that's what the pros do and the great ones can do it. The yeah. really good ones can do that. 
And I think some, it's just for me, I just I kind of had hit a wall and all this happened for me right at the right time. So, yeah, well, and again, the, that's the successful ones right. are the ones who are constantly driving across town yes. to have this horrible experience. Yes. That's if you're doing well. Right. You know, you the vast majority of right. people <laughs> are just hoping to get yeah. the chance to drive very spend three hours in a car. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. The, there's something that uh, Joe Montaigne said mm. um, is that the actual time on the set, that's play. Yeah. The work is everything else. Yep. Yeah. The, the actual job of an actor is sitting in traffic trying to get to that terrible audition. It is. That's the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have digressed. <laughs> um, the Speaking movie of successful actors. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, you know, there, there are all these lists out there about the top of these and the top of yeah. those. And of course, every single one of them you could argue with top to bottom because nothing is going to match exactly what your thing is. But one of the most respected of these lists yeah. is the AFI Top 100. And we are about to do the movie highest on the AFI Top 100 of anything we have ever done. Oh, really? Number three. This is the number three film on AFI? Yeah. Casablanca. <laughs> Did, Boy, this is going to be an interesting podcast. Okay. Today is its 70, not today, but it is its 75th anniversary this year. Yes. It came out in 1942. Yes. Uh, it's, been, it's been playing around the country in those Fathom TCM events, mm-hmm. which we've gone to see a few of. Yeah. Um, and uh, this movie, it's one of those odd sleepers that was, it, it won the best picture of the year it came out, but right. it wasn't expected to be a big mm-hmm. thing. And yet it has become one of the most important films in American history. Do you remember how you first came to it? Yeah, just going through the list of films I hadn't seen before. And I think When Harry Met Sally is the thing that motivated they me to watch it because yeah. they have the, the two scenes in, at two different times in their lives when they're talking about uh, the ending of Casablanca. And I know that motivated me to watch it. So I think I watched it when I was a bit young and then watched it later and understood why people get it. Like the lines are amazing. It's a great script. Um, and then watched it again for this podcast. So it's not a film that is oh, wow. beloved in my world or beloved in my uh, sphere of films. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's in a way it's similar to me. Is that if you look mm-hmm. at that list of top ten, with the exception of Gone with the Wind, which yeah. I've barely seen at all, because I don't love Gone with the Wind. I hate Gone with the Wind, yeah. and I don't know if we'll ever do this unless somebody really special asks us. If to you do come it. on Patreon right now and you <laughs> no! pledge five hundred dollars a month, yes, a we, month, a month, we will do Gone with the Wind Absolutely. immediately. Uh, Patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Boom. Tomorrow is another day. <laughs> it yes. is. Um, but uh, you know, it's like Citizen Kane. I've watched fifty plus. Plus, who knows how many times? At least. And read books about it and studied sure. it. Lawrence of Arabia, Godfather, those Singing in the Rain. These are mm-hmm. films that I know really well. Yeah. Casablanca, my story is pretty similar to yours. I think I saw it when I was, you know, high school, when I was yeah. kind of going through those films. I watched it two or three times since then, and I really studied it in the last week mm. to, to prepare for this show. And, for, and it's an interesting thing. We've talked about this many times, like The yeah. Searchers for me, or, you know, there's other films for you where it's like... French Connection. Yeah, the French Connection was another one for yeah. me where it's like... I appreciate this film. Yeah. I know why it's great. I actually really, really enjoyed it watching it this last time. That's great. But I haven't gone back to it over and over again. Um, uh, Let's do a little bit about the pre-production. So this is one of those movies where the stories are really interesting. Okay. You know, right up there with the film. Uh, It's based on a play. um, Yes, I was surprised to know that. Everybody Comes to Rick's. It's by Murray... Murray Burnett and Joan Allison. And the way this started was they were traveling in Europe in 1938... They were in Vienna and saw all the anti-Semitism and the craziness of the rise of the Nazis. And they were so upset and angry by this. And then they went to the south of France. And there they were at a club where there was all this expat community who were trying, who were refugees trying to get out of Europe. And there was an African-American piano player, which is the 
the basis for Sam. Wow. And that's the idea of the play. But, oh. the, but the play is never produced. Mm. No one ever. It's been produced since then. Right. But no one ever did the play. It got into the hands of, of, the, of Warner Brothers. And there's a reader reading it. And she reads it on December 8th, 1941. The day after Pearl Harbor. Wow. Yeah. And, went, went into work the next day. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's incredible. And, you know, it's like the only thing that we have that's, you know, that we can relate to with Pearl Harbor, I think, is September 11th. Yeah, it's 9-11, yeah. Is this sh- deeply shocking, profound event. Yeah. And this woman goes, whose name I don't have, but she goes back into work at Warner Brothers the next day. Mm. The script comes across her desk. And she sends it up to Halby Wallace. And Halby Wallace, so Jack Warner is the head of Warner Brothers, and he's right. really the business guy. And Halby Wallace, he's really the creative producer guy. And he, from everything I can tell, he's the champion of this film. Yeah. Is that he sees this and goes, this is something we have to do. And something we should know is that Warner Brothers is, of all of, not only all the film studios, but really in the United States, they were really ahead in their hatred of the Nazi mm, regime because mm-hmm. a lot of the United States, 1933, 1934, they're kind of mixed. Yeah. You know, Joe Kennedy and Walt Disney and people sure. like that were going, Hey, we kind of like this Hitler guy. Yeah. And they were having uh, dinner parties with Nazis that were coming over to mm-hmm. America and they were talking, they were like having meetings so that people could meet the Nazis and talk about what they were doing to kind of reinvigorate Germany. So there was this sense in America, people want to brush this aside, but it had, there was a sense in America that there were certain sections of the country that were into this idea or wanting to follow this path of the Nazis. Yeah. Not necessarily anti-Semitism, but this way of nationalistic well, way. Yeah, possibly, but nationalistic approach to politics, to rule, yep. you know? So it was interesting. Well, and, you know, we... We as Americans have not always picked the good guys. <laughs> right. And which is what I love about the beginning of Citizen Kane when they have the oh, yeah. newsreel and it says, first support, then denounce with yeah. the Hitler thing. And it's yep. brilliant. So yeah. I love that. Absolutely. And, um, but not true of Warner Brothers. Yeah, right. Jack Warner and his brother, um, who are both Jewish, of course, and those aren't their real names. Yeah. Um, they were very anti-Nazi right from the beginning. Something we talked about in The Adventures of Robin Hood is that Eric Korngold was an Austrian. His family, whole family, was trapped in Austria at right. the German invasion. That's and right. it's Jack Warner who got them out. Yes. And Michael Cortese, who's the director of Robin Hood, and we are now doing his second film, oh. Casablanca. Oh, funny. His whole family was trapped in Hungary, yeah. and Jack Warner got his whole family out. So so the, the fact that Warner Brothers was very anti-Nazi, and this is... December 8th, 1941, is right. part of why this film gets made. But what we have to remember is that Warner Brothers at the time, they made 50 movies a year. Mm-hmm. Just Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. The whole of Hollywood does not make 50 movies a year. Right. Yeah. It was a, it's a factory. This is yeah. a studio system. And so this was just one of the movies. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be an important film in any way. Michael Curtiz, who was brought on, he was their workhorse director. Yes, he's a really good director and maybe one of the most underrated directors in history. But... He was just like, what's the next job? What's the next job? Mm-hmm. And this was just the next job. Yeah. They get the script, and the the writing, screenwriting story on this is as crazy as anything you can imagine. First people to get on it are Julius and Philip Epstein, and they and all the funny lines, basically, that's them. Oh, okay. And there's some great, great dialogue yes. that we're going to get into. Fantastic lines. Um, but then they go off to work on the Why We Fight films with Frank Capra. Mm. So they bring on this guy, Howard Koch, who's a Mercury Theater guy who worked with Orson wow. Welles. Yep. And so all of the, it seems like the drama 
And that's from Howard Koch. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but Hal Wallace is still not happy with the script. And the big thing that he thinks is missing is the love story. And so they bring on Casey Robinson to do the love story. Mm. And so all the stuff in Paris, all the romantic Rick Ilsa things, a lot of that comes from this guy, Casey Robinson. Okay. And this is how the studio system worked. It was just like, oh, bring in another engineer. Right. We don't let, you know, it's not <laughs> yeah. like this system of artists trying to make a film. It's whoever we're going to bring in. And then they're still not happy. And then they go into production and the movie is being shot and they still don't like the script. They don't have an ending. Wow. There's no ending on the movie and they're in the middle of shooting. And who comes back but Julius and Philip Epstein, the people that started it. And they're the guys who came up with the ending. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, this movie is... Just imagine that this movie that's going to become what many people argue is one of the greatest films of mm. all time is a movie that had no script while they're in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and of course, you know, this is a fantastic cast in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. We have hum Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. Humphrey Bogart had never been a star. Yeah. This is his first starring role. He had been a gangster, a mm -hmm. heavy. And at the time, the first person they talked about to play this part is George Raft. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And there's a lot of talk, and it's a little bit controversial about whether this is really true, but that Jack Warner really wanted Ronald Reagan to play the part. Wow. Yeah. Oh. No, not. Yeah, no, I don't think that would have worked. No, I don't think so at all. He he wouldn't have had that that pain that Bogart has in the film that's what, so great. What Bogart carries around with him is so great in this Pumped. movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Ingrid Bergman had stopped acting. Wow. Yeah, she wasn't into it anymore. And she finally agreed to do it. But the movie she really wanted to do is what she shot after, which is For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah, for, which, yeah. And, and she was just like, I just have to get through this dumb Casablanca movie in order to get to For Whom the Bell Tolls. Um, and then Paul Henry, who plays uh, Victor Laszlo, yeah. he only took it because he got equal billing. Yeah. And he's not. No. No, he's eclipsed. That's, it was shocking to me when watching the film again. That they're all on the same uh, credit plate. Yep. That was really shocking to me. Yeah. You well, know. it is a love triangle. Yes. Except two points of that triangle. You know, Claude Rains is really the third star of this movie. Oh, without question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's, this is, strangely enough, our third Claude Rains film. Yes. Because we had him in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm -hmm. We had him in Adventures of Robin Hood. That's right. And now we have him again in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And he, I think, is almost unrecognizable in these three parts. Well... I don't know. They're I don't know if so I can agree different. with you because I always know when it's Claude Rains. I, but, I guess you're right. But, they're but very he, different. He disappears into the parts, definitely. Yeah. I would agree with that because the he doesn't have that smooth kind of smirky charm that he has in, that he has in this film in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And in, in um, Robin Hood, there's more of a lilt. There's more of a playful right. kind of evil to him yeah. that isn't here this is he's a master actor man absolutely that's why when you told me that he was originally and it's funny it could be our we could call this almost our fourth film oh, Claude Rains right. because of Judgment Nuremberg he was, he was supposed in the to be TV the judge one. yeah well and he's in the TV, TV version he's in the TV version right yeah. yeah yeah no he he's he's a really great and and mm -hmm. I know there's a film which we keep trying to get to yeah we're gonna see him again which is of course Lawrence Arabia Lawrence Arabia yes yeah so he's in I wonder it'd be a good thing to Ooh. go look who's in the most Ooh. of these top films I love that idea yeah because mm. we got Casablanca, Mr. Smith, Lawrence Arabia. Yeah. Those are three great films. We all have Claude Rains. Well, maybe one of our industrious fans can <laughs> Who, Someone that can pull out a spreadsheet yeah. and work this thing out. <laughs> Should we get into the movie? Yes, please. All right. So we start with some narration, classic sort of old school newsreel narration. It's 1942, isn't it? The film is made in 1942? It's made in 42, yeah. It comes out in 42. God, 1941, December of 1941, the film comes out in 42. That's amazing. That does yeah. not happen now. Well, it's like an $800,000 budget and a short shoot. Hell of a turnaround. And they're shooting on 
on sets that were from other movies because <laughs> that's how the studio system worked. Madness. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It I just turned over. It's a really important point. Um, and we talk. So there's this narration that opens with. With the coming of the Second World War, many eyes in imprisoned Europe turned hopefully or desperately toward the freedom of the Americas. And so a tortuous roundabout refugee trail sprang up. Paris to Marseille, across the Mediterranean to Oran, then by train or auto or foot across the rim of Africa to Casablanca in French Morocco. Here, the fortunate ones, through money or influence or luck, might obtain exit visas and scurry to Lisbon, and from Lisbon to the New World. But the others wait in Casablanca and wait and wait. Wait. And this idea of there's all these people fleeing Europe, mm-hmm. trying to get away from the Nazis and make it to America, and they're tr- and and ideally, first they want to go to Paris. Right. Paris gets captured by the Germans. Then they want to go to Lisbon, but they can't go straight to Lisbon, so they have to go on this crazy route down through uh, Spain to the Mediterranean, across to Morocco, and then they get trapped in this place, Casablanca, yeah. where. All these refugees are just waiting for a visa to make it to Lisbon, to make it to the Americas. Right. And you get this montage right at the beginning of the film that really sets up all this, just sort of this world. Mm-hmm. Now, is this world really true? Eh, probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the only reason it's called Casablanca is because the film Algiers had been a big hit a couple of years before. And so they oh. just said, oh, let's name it Casablanca. People <laughs> like that. As opposed to everybody comes to Rick's. Yeah. Um, right. So here's a thought I had. I'm looking at all these Moroccan sets and people walking around. You mm-hmm. know what it made me think of? What? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. It totally looks like the Cairo world. Good point. And Steven Spielberg is a huge Michael Curtiz fan. Well, there we go. Yeah. I'm sure that has an influence on him. All I didn't think place. about it. Yeah, I didn't think about it until a couple of days ago, but mm-hmm. it really looks that way. Did you think this is well, the opening was slightly influenced by Kane? With the narration? The narration. I, That's I a just, good question. I couldn't help but feel that way. So it's year, one year after Kane. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's it, it certainly it sounds that way. I mean, it's got it that newsreel feel. He's got in the same kind of voice, but not quite there, as, yeah. not as well as the Kane one. But anyway, yeah. yeah. A little bit of uh, information we hear is that um, these German couriers have been murdered, and yeah. they have this these letters of transit that are very valuable. Yeah. And this is going to be really the MacGuffin of the film. Right. The, the, these letters of transit somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we hear this rule, we're going to round up. He doesn't say they're usual suspects, <laughs> but that's kind of the point. We're going to round up a bunch of people. So anybody, anybody's looking suspicious. Yeah. And then you see all these people. Like I love these like shots from just slightly below frame, or slightly below them, rather, where they're turning in shocked looks, and they're getting dragged. Away, you know, so we get and these like barreling cops coming in on their on their cars, you know, all that stuff to yeah. give you that feeling that there's a little bit of danger here. Well, and and, and certainly there is danger because one guy uh, is trying to get some papers, and then the police talk to him, and he yeah. gives them some expired papers. He runs, he gets shot, mm-hmm. and he gets shot right in front of this billboard of the fr- Free French, yes, which is the politics we're going to get into, which are a little muddy and confusing, I think, in the film. <laughs> we'll try to explain them; they don't entirely make sense, I right. think. Um, but as he gets uh, killed, what do we hear? But we hear for the first time the Marseillaise. Yes. The French national, national anthem. The composer is Max Steiner. He's one of the great composers of that era. Mm-hmm. Composed um, Gone with the Wind. He composed King Kong. And you can hear he uses things like the Marseillaise as a leitmotif, a theme that goes with something throughout the film. And this right. is the first use of it. And the score is really good. Yeah. 
So then we have, I love this scene, a nice guy explaining this situation to the tourists. What's going on in Casablanca? How you have to be careful. Yes. There's some very unsavory characters. Vultures. And you, and you, the vultures. And do you remember what he does at the end of the scene? He takes their wallet. <laughs> picks the guy's pocket. Yeah, picks he does. This movie, this is what's so, what I had forgotten about this movie is all the little bits. Mm -hmm. I all, you know, it's like, because you, what you remember is Rick and Ilsa and Victor Laszlo. Right. But what I didn't remember was bartenders and waiters and pickpockets mm -hmm. and, and guitar players and people in bands and all these people that are so, they're so much fun. The unsung heroes of great films are the character actors playing the smaller parts in interesting, fun scenes that give you a break from the main storyline. Without that, I think most great films fall apart. I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. And I think watching this, this might be one of the greatest mm. cast of bit players I've ever seen. I can Absolutely. Because they all have little moments. And here's the interesting thing. Almost the entire cast were not Americans. Humphrey wow. Bogart and uh, Dooley Wilson who plays Sam. Yeah. And there's a couple of others and that's it. Wow. And there's a ton of them who are actual refugees from the Nazis. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. Okay. And that gives this film this power yeah, I hadn't really thought about. Uh, and then a uh, a plane flies overhead. Everybody looks up the plane. It's just a model, <laughs> not a really very good one. No, it isn't. And you have that line: someday yeah. maybe we'll be on that plane tomorrow, or so maybe we, tomorrow we'll be on that plane. Exactly. So we we pretty clearly set up yeah. what this what this film is about. Yeah. Um, we meet um, Major Strasse. And yeah. we meet Claude Rains, who's who's Louis, who's the sort of the head of the French Moroccan police, mm -hmm. and uh, Conrad Vidit, the guy who played Major Strasse, mm -hmm. he's a refugee from the Nazis. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. I'm going to hear this a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and we hear that the Germans want to find the murderers of these German mm -hmm. couriers. Mm -hmm. And okay, I'm going to give the briefest explanation I can of what the politics are, okay. just to make it make sense. Sure. So the Germans had invaded Paris and conquered some portion of France. Right. And then rather than conquer all the rest of France, there were some French leaders outside of Paris, Paris who said, you know what, let's just make a deal. Don't conquer us. You let us rule. Or the Germans said, we'll let you rule France, kind of in quotations, right. if you just do everything we say. Right. And that is the Vichy government out of Vichy. Mm -hmm. And that is really what, and we called that unoccupied France. Right. But really, the Germans are in charge. Yeah. That's what's going on here. And so who, the Germans are giving kind of faux respect to Louis, mm -hmm. but really they're in charge. Yeah. And that, that, that's sort of the politics we're in right now. We go to Rick's. Oh, nobody else gave me a thrill, honey, with all your balls. I love you, still have to be you. Wonderful you, had to be you. Uh, the first thing we hear is It Had to Be You, being mm -hmm. played by Dooley Wilson, Sam. Mm -hmm. uh, I love his voice. It's great. great. Yeah, yeah, very good. Max Steiner hated his voice and wanted to dub him. What? Yes. Ugh. Yeah. He doesn't actually know how to play the piano. Dooley Wilson's oh. a drummer. And if you want, as soon as you know that, every scene you see, he's like, yeah, he's not playing the piano. <laughs> they don't even do a good job of faking it. No, him, him shooting his head back really kind of distracts you, yeah. The way yeah. It, it, on purpose, so you don't yeah. touch his fingers. Um, and as we, as we move in again, we have these sort of montage of all these little mm -hmm. deals and mm -hmm. criminals trying to sell jewelry, get visas, make deals, everybody trying to get some money and get the hell out of Casablanca. yeah. yeah. And we we're hearing things about Rick. We hear he never drinks with the customers. Right. We're establishing little details of him. We see him signing a check. And finally, we reveal there is Humphrey Bogart. Nine minutes into the movie. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. For a short film. Yeah. Hour and a half movie. Well, hour and 40. But yeah. yeah. Hearing him 
be talked about for nine minutes before you see him. Yep. And that gentleman who's wandering, who's walking, the larger gentleman with the glasses who, who serves the drinks and says that Rick yeah. doesn't. Yeah, I can't forget the I forget the actor's name, but he um, retired from acting. Uh, S.C. Sakal. S.C. Sakal in 1954 died of a heart attack in 1955. Really, seventy years old. So, and he, by the way, another refugee yeah. for the Nazis. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, he's great. He's so every, good. Every scene he's Such in. color to the film. And there's some guy who wants to get into the fancy gambling room. Oh, yeah. And there's also Peter Lorre, the great Peter Lorre, who yes. wants to get in. And Rick says no to that guy and lets Peter Lorre in. Right. Um, have you seen M? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Kids, let me tell you something. <laughs> don't see M. Kids oh, out well, there, no, don't no. watch M. All you young little fuckers, let me tell you something about <laughs> film. We didn't invent in 2017 the insane dark drama. Go back and study films from the 20s and 30s and 40s. There are some incredibly horrific, unsettling, dark, dark movies. M is one of them. Yeah. M is an unsettling film about a child molester. And that is what Peter Lorre plays in the film. Metropolis. There are so many films. If you go and there was a great... Uh, documentary that was done way back when on IFC exploring the history of film going from the 1800s all the way up until I think the mid 2000s really it's fantastic when you see the when they go into the eight like the 1900 early 1900s to see the visuals that they have of heaven and hell it is almost more horrific than anything we've created in our modern cinema. So just understand, there are people who can exist and do these dark things. Peter Lorre is fantastic oh in, these, in a lot of these films. And in this film, he is not in it a lot. No. Like, he literally, he's arrested and he's gone. Yep. But but he's he leaves a mark. He's got an indelible voice. He's got an interesting face. He just has a great character, so much so that he ends up in Looney Tunes cartoons. Yep. So he's got that kind of vibe to him that's really no, interesting. And, and he is? Another refugee from the Nazis. Yes, yes. And he comes in and we discover that, oh, he's a guy who's sort of a black market guy peddling exit visas. Yeah. And maybe sort of small time. Yeah, but, yeah. But Rick likes him on a certain level. Well, yeah. He, at first he says, do you, do, you, do you not like me? He says, if I thought enough about it, I might not like you. But <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. And then when he finds out what he did with those visas, then he goes, oh, I'm starting to like you a little bit. Uh, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, well, and yeah. he's there's a respect, that, yeah. a, a kind of growing respect. Yeah, but also it has that's this great dialogue. If I thought about you, maybe I, you know those yeah. kinds of lines are just really fun, sparkling dialogue. And and Peter Lorre and Rick and all these characters are charmingly unsavory. Yeah, like the pickpocket that we've yeah. met is that he's a, he's a criminal. Yes, but we like him. You know, because yeah. there's something sort of fun. And mm -hmm. that's what this world of Casablanca is going to be. Yeah. All these kind of criminals with good hearts that we generally, I mean, there's really, with the exception of Major Strassa, there's not like a lot of bad guys here. You know, they, they are, no. you know, they are all people we kind of like. Well, everyone is doing what they have to do to survive. Yep. And it's wartime. Yep. So this idea of morality and principles and right or wrong is very, it fluctuates. Yeah. It's even with our stars. Oh, absolutely. So we'll, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to, but like that's the truth there. So what we find out, what you mentioned, is that Peter Lorre is the guy that killed the German yeah. couriers. He's got these very valuable transit visas. He wants Rick to keep them. Rick agrees, yeah. and uh, Peter Lorre heads off. And we come out into 
that cafe and this is another great musical number of who's got trouble and, and Sam playing it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You don't like it so much? I do, I do. I like oh, okay. it. Okay. Everything Sam does, I'm a big fan of. I think he's the unsung hero of the movie. I agree. Yeah. Well, and it, it brings up some really interesting things about 1942 and race mm-hmm. and the way they treat the character of Sam. They don't address it at all other than one line later on in the film, which is just of its time, when Bergman says, that boy, yeah, would, yeah that's the only time you sense a little bit of the race stuff, but they never address it in the film. Well, and and it seems pretty clear that Sam is probably is Rick's best friend. Yeah, it seems you like. Know, there's not a, like... They've been yes, traveling for a while. Yeah, Rick is the boss and Sam works for Rick, but there's not a sense of... Mm-hmm. Of disrespect at all right. towards Sam. Right. Uh, so he's playing this number, Who's Got Trouble, and Rick slips the papers into the piano, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a great hiding place to me, <laughs> um, but that's where they go. Well, you always hide in plain sight, man. Yeah. And enter Sidney Greenstreet, another fantastic supporting actor. Yes. What I didn't know, so he, I remembered him from Maltese Falcon. Well, which all is, three of them. Yeah. Oh, Bogart, Laurie, and, and Sidney Greenstreet. Are all, all three in Maltese. Maltese Falcon. And Maltese Falcon is like a year er- earlier? Yes, a year earlier. And... That's Green Street's first acting job. Maltese Falcon? Yeah. Wow. At 63 years old. <laughs> hey, man. If you keep at it, <laughs> you keep driving to Santa Monica, it'll happen for you. Um, and uh, <laughs> he makes eye contact with Rick, and we find out he wants to buy the cafe. Right. He also wants to buy out Sam's contract, you know, and Rick's not having any of it. And neither is Sam. And neither. Yeah, and they go and ask Sam, and Sam's like, no, I'm going to stay with I'm Rick. here, yeah. Yeah. And we cut over to this scene. There's this bartender. Again, more supporting characters. A Russian bartender, a French woman named Yvonne. She's given her free drinks. I love you. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I so love good. you, but he's my boss. But he's my boss. <laughs> um, and uh, it ends up, we, we see that she, she and Rick had some sort of a relationship. Mm-hmm. That relationship seems to be over. She's too drunk. Rick sends, sends the bartender to send her home. Right. And we're kind of keep, we're in this sort of thing. Is Rick a good guy? Well, we get the we get this vibe that Rick is a, is a guy who runs this place on his own terms. Right. He you do sense that he the way he treats her uh, is not a good thing, but you sense a bitterness to him. There's a reason for it. Like you you can already sense it as the way. Like you know, she's like, well, well I see you trying to say, I never plan that far ahead. You know, he's, he's this kind of thing where it's very obvious he does not want anybody to get close to him. Yeah. Because he's so overt in the way he's dismissing people. Well, and it, but he's doing that. That's 100% true. Yeah. And he's also protecting her on some level sure. because she's getting too drunk in the bar. Yes. And she's a, obviously a very unhappy person. And she's falling in love with him. And that's he does not want that he responsibility. Can't have that, no. No. In walks Louie. Yeah. Um, and there's a plane takeoff and everyone stops as the plane is taking off. Yeah. It's because everyone wants to be on that plane. Mm-hmm. Um and this is and and Louis kind of looking at Rick, going, "I think you'd want to be on that plane." <laughs> and that's the question: Is does Rick want to go back to America? I no at no point throughout the entire movie do I sense that he wants to leave. I don't either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know what he wants, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like he's going. I want to go back to America. No. Um, and this is one of the things that's going on in the film: is Louis is fascinated by Rick. Yeah, and is continually going. There's more going on in you, and mm-hmm. I want to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is great. Again, this is that great sparkling dialogue. I've often speculated on why you don't return to America. Did you abscond with the church funds? Did you run off with the senator's wife? I like to think that you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. It's a combination of all three. And what in heaven's name brought you to Casablanca? My health. I came to Casablanca for the waters. The waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I was misinformed. <laughs> right. This is great stuff. That is great. And I love yeah. this sort of Rick's funny and mysterious way about talking about his life. Yeah. 
Um, the banter in the film is stellar. It's great. It's so stellar. And I think this is the Epstein brothers. I think that's where, yeah, where this banter that makes comes sense. from. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Um, we hear that Major Strauss is coming. They're going to make a big arrest when they get there. And he's and he starts to ask Rick if he knows about these exit visas. Mm -hmm. And Rick doesn't give an answer. And he's sort of like, look, the, because you're cooperative is why we you get to stay in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, I thought it was because we let, I let you win at roulette. You know, which is a key. Because that's one of the reasons. Yeah, it's one of the reasons. <laughs> and this is when we first hear that Victor Laszlo is coming. Yes. And this is obviously a famous name. He had escaped a concentration camp. This is an important person in the resistance, and yeah. he's going to show up in Casablanca. And Rick bets, wants to bet Louis 20,000 francs that uh, Laszlo actually does escape. And Louis says, Make it 10. I'm only a poor, corrupt official. <laughs> you love Claude Rains right from the beginning. Of course. Yeah. Just love him. He's a dirty son of a bitch in the movie, but yes. And we do hear he's traveling with this lady. And so yes. he needs two visas. And Louis says, I've seen the lady, which is really important. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why this guy wants to take her. In comes Major Str or Major Strauss is coming, and we tell uh, Carl, the waiter. Carl, see that Major Strasser gets a good table. One close to the ladies. I have already given him the best, knowing he's German and will take it anyway. <laughs> another, nice another occupation joke. Yeah, yes. Another great line. <laughs> um, cops come in, immediately go to Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre kind of makes a move to escape. Uh, doesn't get very far. He runs to Rick. Help me, help me. Rick won't help him. I help me, Rick. Help me, Rick. I don't yeah. stick my neck out for nobody. That's right. There yep. you go. Yep. All of this is being set up. This is what's amazing about the film, Steve, is the first 25, 30 minutes is all setting up Rick's Rick's character, who Rick yep. is, Rick's point of view on the world, uh, Rick's approach to his, how he's existed in this place that is full of in, lies and intrigue and double dealing and double crossing and st stabbed in back two-faced people. He does it by having his wits about him and by only taking care of himself not getting emotionally attached to anybody. Well, here's where I differ just a little bit, is I think he has a moral code. Well, I didn't say that. He doesn't have yeah. a moral code. 
but to exist in this world is that it's sort of I will do this, but I will not do this. Right. And he's consistent within this is how I behave. I don't drink with my mm -hmm. customers. Mm -hmm. I don't make those emotional connections. Right. I will hold these papers, but I will not help you when the police come. Right. Because if I take one further step, then I will be at risk. Exactly. So he will do the right thing up to the point at which he's at risk. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to see in the course of this film how that's going to yeah, change. Um, and Rick comes over and sits with Louis and the Germans. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Germans are very interested. They want to know who this guy Rick is and what are his intentions because he's a powerful person in Casablanca. Right. And again, I love, this is the great dialogue. What is your nationality? What is your nationality? I'm a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just great. It's just great. And they keep trying, they push him. It's like, no, you were in Paris when, when Paris was occupied. Right. They have a dossier. They have files on him. Yeah. Man. How would you feel if London was occupied? How would you feel if we? How do you feel when we take New York? Yeah, yeah. I love the two responses. London is like, I'll tell you when you when you get there. Yeah. And in New York, is there's some places you you don't want to try <laughs> to occupy. Go. You don't want to try to occupy. It's great. <laughs> and then we and then the subject of Laszlo comes mm -hmm. up, and again they're pushing like, how do you feel about this guy? Yeah. And he is very, very, very good at not giving answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Laszlo, in comes Victor Laszlo and his wife Ilsa. Yeah. Ingrid Bergman. Mm -hmm. She's one of those actresses who I don't think she got enough great movies. You know? Yeah. I mean, this and Notorious. Notorious is an amazing oh, yeah. movie. Um, but I just, there's something about her. But she's also one of these actresses that didn't choose to work a lot. That's right. She's very, like, her life is full of a lot of things. And it wasn't just acting. And her connection with the director... Uh, with with, with Ingrid Bergman, yeah. right? And with with what? Rossellini. Yeah, Rossellini. Like all these connections there with uh, Rossellini. There is so much there. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? And so uh, there's just so much more. And yeah. back then there were artists like this who didn't right. have to work all the time because there was people who were willing to do give them money and have them exist in the world and whatever. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the minute they walk in, who sees her first? Sam. Sam, Sam Caesar. Sam, and immediately. And what's great, and this is what's so great for me too, Steve, is he isn't played for shuck and jive, big eyes, big mouth, that no. kind of stereotypical stuff that you'd see sometimes in you know, from African-American actors at that time because they were told to act that way to work. He is surprised. You can tell immediately this is a woman with resonance in both his life and Rick's life. You can just yeah. tell. And he's immediately worried. Yes, like, he is. What is friend. Oh, oh shit, Ford what's going to happen here? Yeah. Because what we're going to discover is that the person that Rick was yeah. in Paris with Ilsa is not the person he is now. No. Is that he has shut down, he has closed doors within his heart mm -hmm. in a major way. So is, and, and now here, here oh, literally walks in the door the person who he closed those doors because of. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great line in Murder on the Orient Express out now with Kenneth Branagh. Oh, right. Where he says, no romance goes unpunished. <laughs> that is a great line. <laughs> this is true. There's truth there. <laughs> um, there's a little thing with maybe a secret meeting guy yes. with Victor Laszlo. He the goes ring. away yeah. Yeah, with something to do with a ring, has to do with the free French. And then up comes, up comes Louis, and he's talking about, they ask sort of about this cafe and about mm -hmm. the singer. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, Sam came from Paris with Rick. And there's just this moment of, Ilsa going, well, who is Rick? Yeah. And I love Louis' response. He says, if I were a woman and I were not around, I'd be in love with Rick. <laughs> Which is funny on like five levels. <laughs> if I were a woman and I were not around, yeah. I would be in love with Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and then comes Major Strasse. And um, 
this is the bad guy in the yeah. film. And he's not a Laszlo fan. No. No. Uh, because, and this is where the politics really don't make sense, is that, okay, this is Vichy France. This is run by the Germans. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they can't actually arrest this guy that escaped from a concentration camp because he's in Casablanca, it doesn't really make sense. Well, isn't it the same kind of thing you were talking about earlier with Rick? Like, if the Germans take that one extra step, then it becomes something else. Maybe. So maybe yeah. that's the yeah, restraint. Maybe they're trying to obey a certain set of rules. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, they can't arrest him, but they really don't like him. Yeah. Um, Do you sense that Claude Rains doesn't like him, or is he just going along with the whole thing? With Laszlo? Doesn't like Laszlo? Yeah. Well, I think that's the interesting question in the movie. Mm -hmm. So this is, because I was thinking about this throughout, is that what we're going to find out is yeah. that Rick is a guy that uh, ran guns in Ethiopia, yeah. that Rick is a guy who fought for the loyalists against... Um, uh, Franco yeah. in Spain mm -hmm. is that he has been a fighter for the the liberal causes mm -hmm. against fascists. Mm -hmm. Now he's a guy right now who isn't doing any of that. No, and Louis is a guy who is trying to figure out who Rick is. Mm -hmm. And so where Louis Louis presents himself, much like Rick does, is I have no opinions. Yes, I go. He says later, I go where the wind blows. Mm -hmm. And the wind, he says, I think I go where the wind blows, and right now the wind is coming from Vichy. Yeah. But, but I think the reality is, is both of these people are fighters against the Germans. Yes. That are waiting for a moment. In their own way. In their own way. Yeah. 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 So I think, now, but, but the reason I wanted to, I, I questioned the way you asked it is, like you said, does he like Laszlo? Yeah. I don't think he likes him. Okay. Like, is Laszlo likable? <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a good question. You know, Rick is not... Laszlo is, quote-unquote, a better person than Rick. Sure. But I don't think we like him yeah, no. as much. Agreed. We like Rick. We and we like. love Louis. We like Rick and Louis. Yeah. They're, and they're scoundrels, and they are self-serving sometimes, yeah. and they don't care that much about the rules. Yeah. And we like them. Yeah. Laszlo's hard to like. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Paul Unreed is not a the most, uh, like, uh, attractable character yeah. or face. Um. Uh, and we, so we hear that uh, Ilsa and um, Laszlo are going to have to go meet with Louis at 10 tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. There's a, a woman playing beautiful Spanish guitar. Yes. Great scene. And Ilsa asks, can you have the piano player come over? Hello, Sam. Hello, Miss Ilsa. I never expect to see you again. It's been a long time. Yes, ma'am. A lot of water under the bridge. Some of the old songs, Sam. Yes, ma'am. Fuck. She is okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I no. I have to know what that was. <laughs> yeah, there's clearly a reaction. I should have waited till later on in the movie, but like, she infuriates me throughout the movie. She really yeah. does, and I understand that it's Ingrid Bergman and she's beautiful, and you should put, supposed to immediately fall in love with her and forgive her. But she really does operate on her terms the entire damn movie. And it's very frustrating. Why would she bring Sam over? She wants to have this connection with him. She knows who he is. She wants to remember she's instigating this whole situation. Having him play the song. Play it once, Sam. For all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. <laughs> You must remember this A 
kiss is just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. He doesn't want to play the song because he doesn't want to hurt his friend, but her desire to have her needs met and trip down nostalgia lane at her terms causes him to play the song, which causes Rick to come out and hear him playing the song go, Sam, I thought I told you never to play. And he sees her. She is fishing. She throws the bait in the water. She catches the fish and then forces him to... Like, she does not come up and say to him or find him and say like, hey, I... I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't know you were. Blah, blah, blah. She plays the song to make him come when he comes to see her. That's what I'm saying. Everything is on her terms. But why do you think she does that that way? Because I agree with all, everything you said. I agree with that. It's exactly what happens. I think because I don't. You don't want to know what I think. Let's move forward. <laughs> Let's go forward. Because I think because she's in love with Rick. You think it's because she's in love with Rick? Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> to be continued perhaps. She's selfishly in love with Rick, then I would say. Well, because the, she does not take his feelings into consideration at all. She only takes her feelings into consideration. And that's what I get angry about in the movie. There are times where that is certainly true. There, there are definitely times where that's true. I love you. Let me pull a gun on you. Later on in the film. Well, this, well we're going to get to that. Yeah, we're going yeah, to get to that. Sorry. Okay, so yes, as you say, she pulls Sam over and plays that song. and Which is a great song, man. It is. As it time is. goes by. Steiner didn't want it in the movie. I'm starting to like the Steiner guy less and less as we Look, go he's along. A great, well, here's the thing. Here's what it might be. Steiner wanted one of his own songs in the movie. Oh, of course he did. Time Goes By is a standard, yeah. and he didn't like it. He said he didn't like Dooley Wilson's voice. He wanted to dub Dooley Wilson, and he wanted to change the song. Yeah. Which is shocking to me that he would want to change this song, because well, it's so iconic to the film. Why is it shocking? He would get even more residuals or royalties. Well, no, this is the thing. There's Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but what happened is... Um, is that Ingrid Bergman had already left the picture. She was off on For Whom the Bell Tolls oh. and had cut her hair short. Right. And so she couldn't come in and re-shoot where she was humming the song. Hmm. And maybe, and that's the story. I think the more likely explanation is how Wallace and, and Michael Curtiz said, screw you, this yeah. is the, we're not going to do all these shenanigans yeah. to change the song that totally works. And pay you out. And yeah. to Steiner's credit, what he did was was rather than minimize the song mm -hmm. is he used it as a leitmotif throughout the film. Yeah. So once he agreed, okay, that song's going to say in, you hear strains of, of uh, as time goes by throughout the whole film. Every time that Ilsa is thinking of Rick, every time he's thinking of her, every time we're thinking of Paris, we yeah. hear that little melody. Yeah. Um, and it works gorgeously. And here's the thing. I had, a, I had a film teacher who had suggested a change in a film I was making I didn't like the idea. I made the change. I showed him the change. He said, why did you do that? That's terrible. <laughs> and I said, you told me to do that. And he, and he said to me and my partner, he said, listen, fellas, here's the thing. Everybody has the right to say something ridiculously stupid. <laughs> and then we have to say, and all, everyone does it. And then your job is to say, I was completely entirely wrong. Do it the other way. And that's, you know, yeah. and, that, and good artists, that's what they do. Max yeah. Steiner wanted the thing. He was clearly completely wrong. <laughs> and then he accepted that he was wrong and he made the correct changes to the score. That's so, because the score is great. Yeah, it is. So, as you said, Rick walks out and hears the song. Yeah. Sees Ilsa. I, it's amazing to think that Humphrey Bogart was just a guy that played gangsters. Yeah. Because his performance in this moment is great. Well, sometimes actors just need that shot, man. Yeah. Yeah. They have I, great chemistry. They really, really do. Mm hmm. And then, of course, before we have talked to them very much, here's Victor Laszlo, here's Louis. Yeah. Um, and there's a great moment of... Well, here's a great deal about Ricky and Casablanca. And about Victor Laszlo everywhere. 
Won't you join us for a drink? Oh, no, Rick. No, Thanks, I will. Well, the precedent has been broken. Uh, Emil. This is the first time drinking with customers. Yep. With the guests, rather. It's the first time drinking with the guests. And Louis makes a big deal of it. Well, and this is the thing. Louis is fascinated by Rick, mm-hmm. and he is really watching this like a hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about the last time that Rick and Ilsa saw each other, and she was wearing a blue dress. He remembers it perfectly. Mm-hmm. If you're Victor Laszlo, and a dude is saying, hey, I remember you in Paris. I remember the dress you wore the day yeah. last day we saw each other. you got to be kind of, well, and he does. Because yeah. later on, he says that to him. Yeah, what's going on? What's the deal? Well, Laszlo says that to him. Yeah, later, yeah. Yeah, um, and the and it's really the looks between mm-hmm. Rick and Ilsa that really are selling this moment, right? Um, but why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? She's there with her husband. Why would she reinitiate this connection with Rick? Why you are there with your husband? You cheated on your husband, assuming thinking he was dead. You thought he was dead. You fell in love with this man, then you left him at the altar to go back to your husband, and then you come back into his life and you reinitiate this romance when you should you have no business reinitiating this romance because your husband's with you and still alive. You should have been cold as hell, you should have been just composed and not initiated anything with Rick. I'll tell you what's funny about what everything you said. <laughs> Is that what I? What's funny is, is it surprises me that our roles are not reversed, because I'm usually more the person of this is not this is logically what one should do yes. in this circumstance. This is not right or fair, and you are the one who's more like, well, emotionally, that's what's happening. And yet, in this case, we're reversed because I'm like, yeah. she was deeply in love with Rick. She made, which is clearly a terrible choice to leave him in Paris without telling him a selfish choice. A, a terrible choice. Sure. I mean, I understand why. She, I mean, like her reasoning of why she did it, there is some logic to it, which is if I had told you, you wouldn't have left and the Gestapo would have gotten you and killed you. She isn't. Okay, sure. That's her reasoning. That's her belief. But, but, I, but I agree with you is that, is that when you are s- <laughs> dating this other man and you found out that the husband that you thought was dead yeah. is alive and you have to go to your husband because of right. reasons which make sense, your job is to explain to the person yes. you're having an affair with what the hell's going on. Yeah. I 100% agree. But, I all, but my feeling is more like you walked into a room and there's the, the true passionate love of your life there. You're not necessarily in control of the things that you're doing. Okay. <laughs> but it is funny because <laughs> normally I think it would be the opposite yeah, way. Yeah. I think it would be the opposite I've way. I've changed a lot over the last few years. <laughs> I really have. I wonder if I have too. I, well, you probably we're f- not switching places, are we? <laughs> Maybe just on romance. <laughs> well, that's a that's a long discussion. <laughs> well, you have, to, you have to subscribe to Patreon to yeah, hear just, Sean oh, and Steve talk about be, romance. That'd be fun. All right. Well, Definitely. stand by. Patreon.com slash the cinephiles. There we go. <laughs> um, and then uh, they they leave. Louis is sort of left smoking and mm-hmm. thinking after their exit, and now we're with Rick drinking alone. Yeah. There's nothing sadder than the dude drinking alone in his yeah. bar in Casablanca. That's that. And Sam tries to get him to, to go. Please, boss, let's go. Ain't nothing but trouble for you here. Coming back. I know she's coming back. We'll take the car and drive all night. We'll get drunk. We'll go fishing and stay away until she's Shut gone. Shut up and go home, will you? No, sir. I'm staying right here. Rick then has the flashbacks to everything well, in Paris. Well, first he says, play that song. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. What's that you're playing? Oh, just a little something of my own. Oh, stop it. You know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you play it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Yes, boss. 
Yeah, man. You played it for her. You can play it for. She can take it. I can. Oh, so he's great in the movie, man. I know him. I've been him. I know him, and so I understand him. And even when he's being mean. He's only oh, being mean because he's in so much pain. Because he's hurt. Absolutely. He's in so much pain. Well, and, and, and there's the, the, he if she can take it, I can. It's so fascinating because, and I'm sure you have done it. You and I and are, are similar enough in this area yeah. of like, the, here's this thing that's painful. Let me go into the pain. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> like, I have to be, like, if it's going to be bad, let's yeah. make it really bad. Yeah. That is a great, and that is what he's doing right now. I have always been the person who wades into the pain. Yeah. Because that's always been my belief, the only way to climb out of it. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's not always Sometimes good. that's not true. It's not always true, Sometimes right? it, I mean, this is the thing. Like, you know, Avoiding it is almost terrible, too. So well, there's some common, you know, like in Little League, you get, you get hit with the ball and someone yeah. says, oh, walk it off. Yeah, yeah, right, you know, right, that's, right. That's what we learned. <laughs> you can't walk off a broken heart. Yeah, there's a certain point. Well, you, you, but you can't, you can't wall it off. No, you can't like wall Rick, it off. Rick, up to this point, has walled it off. Yes, true. And now good he's point, walking Steve. into it. Yes, so he doesn't have that. It's it's extreme. Yeah. So therefore, it's a di- yeah. yeah. It's difficult swings. And then we go into this romantic flashback yeah. in Paris. It's almost too romantic to, for me. It's almost another movie. Yeah. To be honest with you, it, it's funny. I watched it with my mom and my sister. Yeah. And what my sister pointed out, which is totally true. Mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart's almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. He looks younger. He looks brighter. His yes. whole... Perf- Great makeup. Yeah. He just is like this kind of Happier. joyful mm-hmm. person that it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and we see them driving in a car with a horrible process shot. We see them riding <laughs> on a boat with a fairly yeah. bad process shot. We see them sitting in the their apartment or whatever, right. having these romantic conversations. He says, you know, tell me... Who are you and what were you and where did you go and what did you do? And then and then we get into this, oh, we're not supposed to ask questions about right, our past. Right. Which is a certain point when you're really, you know, like, yeah. you got to know. And, he, and the question he's kind of asking is, if you're so awesome, why are you not with some dude? Right. And she says, I was, but he's dead. Yes. But then we never go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe if we had, we wouldn't have all the problems yeah. we had later. Um, yes, good point. And then we hear uh, this line that becomes a, a line throughout the film. Here's looking at you, kid. Which apparently came from Humphrey Bogart when Bergman first came on the set. He was teaching her how to play poker. And this was like a poker line. I don't oh, even wow. quite understand it. Interesting. But yeah, it came from Bogart. It's a Bogart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Curtiz or the screenwriters or Hal Wallace or someone heard mm-hmm. it and was like, put that in the movie. Wow. That's where it comes from. Maybe it's her tell. So he's like, here's looking at you and he would win the hand. Maybe something like Maybe. that. And as we're having our wonderful romantic times in Paris, we mm. hear about the Germans that are coming closer and closer and closer yeah. until they're finally going to take over Paris. Yeah. Um, and we have kind of our last day. We're in the cafe that maybe Rick runs or has some Sam's playing piano. Mm-hmm. He plays as time goes by. And Rick is talking about the plan to go meet at the train station. Yeah. And Ingrid Bergman already knows she's not going. Yeah. Yeah. She does. Yeah. And no, I'm with you. Tell him. This is this you have, <laughs> yeah. And this is the scene where you have to. She doesn't tell him. Yeah, he ends up at the train station in the rain. Gets a note from her. She's not coming. Right, which is great. I mean, uh, it's so uh, tragic in its romance, right? It's classically, tragically, romantically. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And when they're when they're having the conversation, and he's like, "We'll get married in Marseille, or we can get married on the train." If a, and she's so uncomfortable with the situation, she starts to cry a little bit. Um, then she says, "Kiss me like." 
kiss me like it's the last time you'll yeah. ever kiss me. Kiss me. She knows. This is the thing. So when you're dating someone and <laughs> yes. they say kiss me as if it's the last time. Yeah. I think at that point you go, what the fuck do you mean by that? <laughs> sure, sure. That seems like a tell. You know, I'm sure, I, I'm not blaming just her about this. I'm sure Rick makes some mistakes too. He purposely stayed in the dark about things and so he walked into that situation. No, no, I'm not blaming Rick at all. But I, 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 I actually, I mean, I, do. The, 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 I mean, yes, we can say these are star-cost lovers. Yes. You know, like finding out that your hero husband who you thought was dead has just escaped a concentration camp right. and is, you know, you know, sitting in a rail car or something, which I think is what the story is. Right. That'll mess a person up. But it's very similar to American in Paris. Hmm. It struck me because Leslie Caron is in love with the older man who was this guy who took care of her family. Right, right. But she falls in love with Gene Kelly. She's really in love with Gene Kelly, but she feels the responsibility to... I forget the French actor's name, but the responsibility to him. But she doesn't. She makes the choice for Gene Kelly at the end of American in Paris, whereas what happens here does not. Well, what happens here is going is more complicated, I think. Absolutely. Um, well, and the thing Which is too, why it's not a musical. This is a, yeah, <laughs> this is a question uh, that I was going to ask you later, but yeah. can people be in love with two people? Of course. Sure. Yeah. I've been in love with two people. Because one of the questions is, is she in love with Victor Laszlo? I think she's in love with him as an idea and what he represents. She's in love with him for his nobility. She's in love with him for the life she will have with him. But she primally, primal, yeah. loves Rick. Like, from her core. Because as, you know, as a guy who's been married a long time, yeah. there's... You've been in love with more people? Constantly. <laughs> I will edit this part out of the podcast. No, no, it's just that Karen just stops the car. <laughs> the <fuck>? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so yeah. sign on to Patreon to hear Karen and my conversations. Patreon.com slash the Um Yeah. No, is that is that like those elements like that primal love versus you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of elements to a relationship. Oh sure. And you're not and and you're not going to get them all yeah. in any relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, and Ilsa, it seems to me, has met these two guys. Yeah, this has been your theory for years, the A to Z theory. The A to Z theory. Yeah. It's, hear that theory. We'll definitely talk about that theory on the Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com backslash the, uh, the cinephiles. Absolutely. The A to Z theory is something that Steve right. and I actually fought about one night. So we did. We, it'd be fun to talk about that, actually. Okay. But anyway, yeah. So All right. So, all right. So um, <laughs> back to Ilsa fucking Rick's life up. <laughs> okay. And, and okay, so now we're back in Casablanca. Yes. Um, and she's and he the reason he is drinking and sitting there is because he believes she's going to come through that door. And Sam is trying to get him out of that room because he Sam doesn't think she's going to come through right. the door. He comes back from the from the drunken memories of her, and damn if she doesn't come through that damn door. And she not only she come through the door, but the shot oh, of like the white angel. dress in the shadows. Yeah, just it's just this is where you, there's a Michael Cortez throughout this film is just like wow that's a really mm -hmm. you don't notice it at first but watching going through it twice as I did mm -hmm. like the the way they use shadows and shadows yeah. across people's faces as bars or crosses yeah. and where the camera is placed and using high angles and yeah. foreground and it's just really really he's a great craftsman yes he is and you, Mantegna said that over and over again in our in our uh, podcast yeah. with him on Robin Hood yeah that he knows how to use colors and really well Rick is in no position condition. To have a conversation at this yeah. moment. Yeah. He is angry. Yes. He's drunk. She sees the empty, almost empty bottle on the yeah. table. Yeah. Yet she chooses to be mad at him for being upset about her leaving. Yeah. Yeah. This is not the Rick I knew in Paris. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not. Yeah, because you broke my fucking heart. Yeah. Yeah, I hate to break it to you. I'm not going to receive you with warm arms and say, yes, welcome back to my life, woman who I love with all my heart, who smashed my heart into a million pieces and never told me and never bothered to reach out to tell me why you left. You can't just waltz back into my life and expect me to receive you with love again. Like, you turned me into this. Well, it's, it's funny. It's a person... <laughs> <laughs> I'm working some shit out here, Steve. Anyway, let's keep going. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's a person who is not the most emotionally demonstrative person who you, didn't you are. come. Or true. Who didn't come from a very emotional family. Yeah. When I've had to, like, uh, my wife comes from an Italian family where mm. they're much louder and stuff. Like, I didn't know how to deal with that. Right. Like, if Rick came at me like that. I don't know how to deal. Right. You know, and it took me a long time. Like one of the things, cause I would, someone's making a very emotional argument and I would logically explain why their argument made no sense. <laughs> that does not make the situation better. Nope. And what I, you know, what I've learned is that if someone's in the middle of emotion, they have to go through that. Yeah. And then, and then once they go through, you can't stop it. Right. You know, and just if their emotion, there's a, you can't tell them, oh, your emotion makes no sense. Right. That's no good. They have to go through the emotion yep. and then we can have a conversation. Well, Rick has to go through this. Right. And, exactly. Ilsa, and Ilsa can't hear it right now. She really can't. No, she is just can't. She, she I think because she has compartmentalized that relationship in a way. Because she could. Because she had the power. Yeah. So she did. And so she, her responsibility is to also be considerate. And she's not. Yeah. She comes to him nice. Yes, she comes to try to talk to him and try to explain. But she's not prepared for the she's person that she's She's not prepared for, the, for yeah. what, she's, what she caused and to take responsibility for it. Well, I don't think most people, you know, mm. you know, I'm sure there are times in your life where you've hurt people. There are times in my life where I've hurt sure, people. Sure, 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 Is that facing the consequence of what you did, mm -hmm. you know, what we do, we go, oh, it's not probably not so bad. Oh, they're overreacting. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then when you really have to face it, you're like, oh, no, I have to. Yeah. I have to deal with my actions. I think that's why a lot of people don't come back into people's lives is because when they've hurt people, it's because they don't want to uh, take responsibility yes. for the pain they've yes. caused. They want to live their blissful life, uh, like pushing it away, uh, creating their own uh, reality or construct or narrative of what happened so that they don't have to confront it. Well, and I think I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And the, the, you know, it takes courage to go. I understand that, you know, we've hurt each other. Yeah. And I care enough about you to move, to move on. And I'm know? willing to hear your anger yeah. and your frustration and talk through it with you. I had a great one with a friend of mine uh, in the last year where mm. he had hurt me and I guess I had hurt him. Even me putting that I guess in was just kind of a problem. <laughs> well, there but, we go. That's yeah. a dead, there's a tell. Right there. Right. Well, this is the thing. is like this is, you, kid. This is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like there was this moment where he, I explained, this is what happened. And he said, yes, I understood exactly how you felt and that that's why you felt. Right. And this is why I did what I did. Right. And this is, and I, and I listened to that. I was like, okay, I understand exactly why you did that. And we both said, I don't agree with you right. on that thing, but I'm really sorry that you were hurt. And our friendship is basically worth more to us. Yeah. And we just went great. And we moved on. Yeah. There was no, no one like we both were sorry the other person was hurt. Mm -hmm. Neither of us said I was, I'm a horrible person and you were right or vice mm -hmm. versa. And we said, let's move on. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. And that's how, that's how, you know, mature people do it. I feel like it is, but it's not easy. No, it's not. And you know, one of the things that people are amazed about with my life is that I, I'm friends with a majority of my ex-girlfriends still, yeah. at least friendly because I've always sought out or they've sought me out to have the closure conversation, which is a little bit of space away from the relationship. And then you talk about the relationship, things that happened, why you did what you did, what you were thinking. Right. 
And to me, those are the most precious and cherished conversations of my life because at one point I surrendered my entire vulnerability to you in a relationship as love or whatever, and you did the same with me. So there's always going to be that connection there that happened between us and the way you respect that connection, no matter how it ended, is to respect it enough to talk about uh, how it ended, forgive each other and move forward. Now, you don't have to be friends, you text every day, but at least you've come to a place of understanding about it and you can both move on. For yourself. Any. Yeah, for yourself. For yourself as right. much as anything. Exactly. Is that is that, that exactly. helps you to be healthy. And I think what's interesting healthy. with Rick is that I think he had idealized her yes. as a perfect, perfect person. Great person. Great and, points. Steve. And then this thing happened that he could not reconcile. Right. And so rather than seeing her as a flawed, complicated person, mm-hmm. he demonized her. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so now she's coming in and he's held and not only had he demonized her, but he locked it away. Yes. And he said, I am not going to feel any of those horrible feelings. They're too mm-hmm. terrible. And now in this one night, he's drunk and all of that right. is coming out and she can't handle it. No. And she leaves him. And she walks out. Um, oh, and one thing we should say, she tried to start to tell the story. Yes, she did. But he shut it down. It's about a girl who had just come to Paris from her home in Oslo. She met a man about whom she had heard her whole life. He opened up for her a whole beautiful world full of knowledge and thoughts and ideals. Everything she knew or ever became was because of him. And she looked up to him and worshipped him with the feeling she supposed was love. Yes, it's very pretty. I heard a story once. As a matter of fact, I've heard a lot of stories in my time. Mr. I met a man once when I was a kid. It always began. Well, I guess neither one of our stories is very funny. Tell me, who was it you left me for? Was it Laszlo or were there others in between? Or aren't you the kind that tells? Um, we're back with Louis and Major Strasse, and he he wants to uh, Strasse wants them to search Rick's because they think that's where the uh, the uh, permits are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this great moment um, where he makes a comment about the blundering Americans mm-hmm. and whether or not they get into the war. And Louis says, "We mustn't underestimate American blundering. I was with them when they blundered into Berlin in 1918." And I think this is something you brought up before. Mm-hmm. This is the clue to what's really going on inside mm-hmm. Louis. Mm-hmm. Is that he's being very charming and very sort of vague, but he doesn't like the Germans. Nope. Not at all. And this is where the major says, Victor Laszlo is not leaving Casablanca. Mm-hmm. We cannot let him leave. He's too dangerous a person. And that's when, and Laszlo comes in and, and, uh, cause it, they'd, they'd set up this meeting the night they set before, up this 10 meeting. Yeah. And Ingrid Bergman is wearing a gorgeous dress. Mm-hmm. She has some dresses. Yes, she does. She has some outfits and in hats. This thing. And yeah. hats. Good hats, too. Really great hats. Well, hats are good for noir. Yeah. Although, what's interestingly enough, Bogart doesn't wear a lot of hats in this. There's only one scene. And the reason is, is Jack Warner didn't want him in hats because he had been a gangster. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. If we're going to make this guy a star, we don't want him to look like the bad guy he'd been in all these gangster pictures. Very smart. smart. And they they can make a very simple deal Mm -hmm. is that Laszlo, you can leave. All you have to do is sell out every single one of the the leaders of the resistance, (laughs) which is. And Laszlo says, quite rightly, if I didn't tell you when I was in the concentration camp, why would I tell you now? Where you had more persuasive means. Where you had more persuasive means. Why would I tell you now? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when we hear that. Uh, the person who had had the passers, which, the 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 transit papers, which we know is Peter Lorre, he's dead. Right. Because he said, oh, you could talk to him, but it'd be a very one-sided conversation. <laughs> and then uh, Louis and Ilsa exit, and 
uh, we go back out into the market and then we see Rick meeting with Sydney Green Street with yeah. Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and they discuss uh, Peter Laurie's letters of transit and Green Street thinks that Rick has them too. Mm-hmm. And he makes a deal. He says, look, let's make a deal. I will handle everything. I'll take a little percentage. You give me the letters of transit. And Rick's not going to be doing it. Mm-hmm. In walk Ilsa and Laszlo because they know because they know that Ferrari, Sydney Green Street, is the guy to get the right. transit papers from. And there's a little conversation with Rick and Laszlo. And then he goes out and talks to Ilsa. Mm-hmm. This great scene where she's bargaining kind of for this fabric. Mm-hmm. And this is a great little bit of screenwriting, which is the importance of the scene is between Rick and Elsa, obviously. Sure. But the comic relief of the scene is this guy that keeps knocking down his price throughout the right, thing. Right. So when you're writing your screenplay, <laughs> add something. Yeah. Add an element, and suddenly your scene becomes much more interesting. Yeah. Only 700 francs. You're being cheated. Doesn't matter, thank you. Ah, the lady's a friend of Rick's. For friends of Rick's, we have a small discount. Did I say 700 francs? You can have it for 200. I'm sorry I was in no condition to receive you when you called on me last night. Doesn't matter. For special friends of Rick's, we have a special discount of 100 francs. The story had me a little confused. Uh, maybe it was a bourbon. I have some table called some napkins. Thank you. I'm really not interested. Please, one minute, please. Why did you come back? To tell me why you ran out on me at the railway station? Yes. Well, you can tell me now. I'm reasonably sober. I don't think I will, Rick. Why not? After all, I got stuck with a railway ticket. I think I'm entitled to know. Last night I saw what has happened to you. The Rick I knew in Paris, I could tell him he'd understand. But the one who looked at me with such hatred. I'll be leaving Casablanca soon and we'll never see each other again. We knew very little about each other when we were in love in Paris. If we leave it that way, maybe we'll remember those days, not Casablanca. Not last night. And they're more reasonable with each other now. Yeah, well, because he's also apologizing for the way he was when she came in. And she was initially a bit... Once again, she has a chance to be understanding, and she isn't. She's She's like, no, I don't know that person I saw last night. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You're not the person I knew in Paris. And so... But he wears... He eventually wears her down, and she, she... You know, they have a cut at least a connection a little bit more yeah and he's now trying to figure out well did you walk out on me because you were afraid i was running from the police yeah um and of course we kind of know why she walked yeah. out on him we're starting to understand it takes forever for her to tell him though it does it takes a long time um there's a scene with laszlo and ilsa and ferrari um and what we hear is that he could get ilsa out yeah but not her and or but not laszlo and laszlo wants her to go and she has the perfectly good return like would you go without me? Yeah. But Victor, if the situation were different, if I had to stay and there were only visa for one, would you take it? Yes, I would. Yes, I see. When I had trouble getting out of Lille, why didn't you leave me there? And when I was sick in Marseille and held you up for two weeks and you were in danger every minute of the time, why didn't you leave me then? I meant to, but something always held me up. And at first he, he kind of says like, oh, I, it wasn't Paul, you know, I couldn't do it. And then, and then it just becomes, he loves her very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ferrari, again, he is a black marketeer, smuggler, bad guy, theoretically. He's really nice. Yeah. We like him a lot. Mm-hmm. And he even says, you should talk to Rick. Yeah. Because he thinks Rick has those papers and he wishes them luck. Right. And then he swats a fly. <laughs> because in every scene he's swatting flies. That's yes, right. Yeah. Uh, we're back to Rick's. We see the pickpocket do his business again. Um, <laughs> in come the Germans. Rick is still drinking. 
Louis is now interested in Yvonne, which is the drunk girl that got sent home yeah. with Sasha because I think he set something up with her. Yeah. Um, uh, and then in she walks, but now she's on the arm of a German soldier. And Sasha, the bartender, is not too pleased about it. Mm-hmm. And neither is this French soldier is not too pleased. And they start like a fist fight. Yeah. And Rick breaks it up. And it's interesting that nobody else goes to break it up. Why would you get involved? And then we have this really small but really lovely scene with Carl and this older couple who's going to immigrate to the United States. Yes. Or yeah. emigrate. Yeah. Um, and it is just a really funny, bad English, sweet yeah. scene. Yeah. And again, it's this. It's really interesting because I didn't think about refugees. Mm-hmm. When I think about Casablanca, I th- always thought about the love triangle. Right. And this time, knowing that so many people working on this movie are European or refugees, yeah. non-Americans, and this is in 1942 when there is a major refugee crisis mm-hmm. of people fleeing Europe and the Nazis, so, and that we're living today in a refugee crisis. Yeah. And obviously, there are huge politics around that. This movie affected me very differently. Oh, interesting. And it's okay. all the supporting characters that yeah. really did it. That's okay. what really changed it for me. Um, now this young girl comes to see Rick. Yeah. And she's underage. And she's talking to Rick about getting visas, maybe from Louis, from Inspector Renault. And she's asking if he's honorable. And we talk about how she just got married. And her husband is at the roulette tables trying to win money. Mm-hmm. And she keeps asking, will he do what he says? Traveling is so expensive and difficult. It was much more than we thought to get here. And then Captain Renault sees us. And he is so kind, he wants to help us. Yes, I'll bet. He tells me he can give us an exit visa. But but we have no money. Does he know that? Oh, yes. And he's still willing to give you a visa? Yes, monsieur. And you want to know? Will he keep his word? He always has. And they never say what they're talking about. But we know what they're talking about. Right. Which is that Louis has offered to get her and her husband visas if she has sex with him. Which is alluded to earlier in the meeting after Laszlo and Ilsa walk out. He says... Oh, you're right. The guy walks in and says, you have another appointment for transit papers or whatever. And he straightens his tie in the mirror. I didn't pick up on that. You're completely 100% right. I think it's her. And that's why when it comes back late, when it comes to this scene, it's her, I think, that was coming in to have the the meeting with him. Well, and this is the interesting thing. At the time, with the Hays Code, you can't make any reference to people having sex. That's against the rules. And I think... This is one of those areas where censorship made writers better mm-hmm. because that's if she had said, yeah. Louis has offered to have sex with me for the papers, it would not have been a good scene. Right. But saying, will he do what he says? Mm-hmm. And, and it's so much more powerful. And there's even this moment where she says, Monsieur, you are a man. If someone loved you very much so that your happiness was the only thing that she wanted in the world. She did a bad thing to make certain of it. Could you forgive her? Nobody ever loved me that much. Which, of course, resonates right to exactly what he's in the middle of. Exactly. And his response is, no one ever loved me that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a big, this is a big thing we're dealing with. Which he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know yet. Yeah. He doesn't know how much Ilsa loves him. Right. He doesn't know yet. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. 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 Um, It's great screenwriting, man. It's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting, too. Like, so here's the other thing. In Paris, were Rick and Ilsa having sex? 
Yes. Of course they were. Yeah. Of course they were. And it's very clearly implied in the way that montage is done. Yes. You know, there's sort of a cut to later after mm-hmm. they, you know, they started kissing. It's like, yes, they're having sex. Yeah. Is that, and, and it's very clear and we never state it. Yeah. You know, and this is a married woman whose husband is still alive, although right. she doesn't know it. Um, and his, Rick's response to her is go back to Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Go back to the Nazis. Go back to where you could probably die rather than do this thing to betray your husband to save your lives. Right. That is some dark thing he's telling a 17-year-old newlywed mm-hmm. young woman. Mm-hmm. It's a dark world we're in, you know? And then Laszlo and Ilsa enter. But Rick goes over to the roulette tables. Mm-hmm. And who does he find sitting there? The husband. Right. Bet on 22. Bet on 22 again. Right take your money and get never come back. Right. And the, he, he essentially, and now we've confirmed something that's been hinted at before. This is a rigged gambling, rigged gambling hall. Yes. Um, and he sends the guy off and, and there's a great set of reaction shots from Carl and from all these other people that see what Rick mm-hmm. did and love him so much for and it. And that's why they work for him. That's yeah. why they're so loyal to him. Because he's a good guy. He's a good guy at heart. Yeah. And with all his eccentricities or occasional emotional flare-ups or whatever, or, or curt words, He's got a good heart. Has he ever done this before at the at Rick's? I'm sure he has. Because I don't, I don't think he ever has. You don't think he ever has? No. I think he has because of the way the um, guy in the suit, in the black suit with the glasses, mm-hmm. the way he reacts is like, oh, I've seen, he looks almost like he's this is he's happy oh. when like to see him doing it again. I I think he's mm-hmm. having the opposite reaction, which is that they always use the rigged roulette reel to pay off Louis and oh. to, and to cheat. Yeah, no. but but yeah, okay. But, well, we, we don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think it's the other way. But I, I absolutely understand. Well, because why I think see that way. for me, Rick has created a bunch of rules where I'm going mm-hmm. to exist with me and I'm not going to get involved with anybody. Sure. I'm not going to be like he doesn't help Peter Laurie, right? You know, and so I don't think he's done this. Although I think everyone knows he's a good guy, mm-hmm. and I think the reactions around the room are because finally you're doing what we knew was inside of you. Mm. That's how it feels to me. Okay. Of course, we don't know. No. Yeah. And again, who is watching this thing happen? Louis, Louis. Yeah. Louis. And he has this line, I, as I suspected, you're a rank sentimentalist. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which he had accused him of earlier in the film. Yeah. Laszlo wants to talk to him privately. We have this conversation with Laszlo. First, he makes a political speech. That doesn't work. Offers him 200,000 francs. That doesn't work. And he says, why? Why won't you do this? Because he knows something mm-hmm. about Rick's history in terms of fighting for these worthy yeah. causes. And Rick's response is, ask your wife. Mm-hmm. Ask your wife is a fucked up thing to say. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, like he knows they were in Paris together. Yeah. Ask your wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do they walk? What do they hear when they walk out of Rick's office? Singing. Mm-hmm. The Germans are singing, as we talked about in Judgment of Nuremberg. Yeah, they like to sing. But then the French, right? Well, this is what. So the Germans are singing the Watch on the Rhine. Yeah. And the camera dollies over to Louis. It's very clear he doesn't like this. Mm-hmm. And in, I will say, strides Victor mm-hmm. Laszlo. Yep. And he walks to the band and says, Play La Play it. And they look to Rick, and Rick nods. This is the greatest scene in the film. Yes. For me. Yeah. It's fantastic. But this is what I think is subtly happening ever since Ilsa showed up, Rick is starting to... I agree. ...become himself again, yeah. who he was before, in ways that are maybe 
subconscious to him. I agree. In these moments. But that's why I think that he gives the roulette guy the money. That's why I think it's the first time. But I think he's he's done it before Mm. in certain moments. But uh, I can totally see that, you know, supplementing the the argument that he is slowly doing these things. Yeah. Yeah. So they start playing the Marseillaise. Yeah. People start singing. They start joining in. The Germans' first response is to sing louder. Yeah. And there's this moment of competition. And then the whole cafe has joined in singing the Marseillaise. Yeah. And the Germans slowly but surely sit down. Yeah. And it and the reactions around the room, the tears in people's mm-hmm. eyes, like Yvonne, the woman who plays Yvonne, mm-hmm. she's French. Yeah. She fled when the Nazis took over France. Mm-hmm. Like... This is for real for them. These are all refugees. They're yeah. in this cast, and the, and the, they said that the, the there was a lot of crying that day on the set. They I'm shot sure. this scene. I'm sure. I mean, it just goes around the room. It mm-hmm. is so powerful and profound and interesting. Again, this is Max Steiner and Hal Wallace. It starts off with the small band at Ricks. By the end of it, it's a full orchestra playing the Marseillaise. ends with Viva la France. And I'm crying at this point. Like this really, this is such a profound moment of Mm -hmm. standing up to oppression. And it's completely, and and the figure of Victor Laszlo singing, standing proudly, this is his best moment in the film. And he, and you go, oh, that guy is a hero. Yeah. In in a way that Rick will never be this kind of hero. No. Rick will be an entirely different kind of hero. Right. Um, And Victor might not be so fun to hang out with at a bar, (laughs) but he will get up in front of the Germans and he is, I think, ready to die at that moment to sing the Marseillaise. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a powerful scene. Mm-hmm. The major is not very happy with it, <laughs> and it's funny we hear another. He strides over to Louis to say, "Okay, we got to make something happen." That we hear another leitmotif, which is we essentially hear Deutschland über alles. <laughs> is what Steiner plays for Major Strasse mm-hmm. in a very dark, not yeah. like, dissonant, aggressive tone, and he says, "We got to get rid of Laszlo." And we got to shut this place down. Mm-hmm. So he blows the whistle, says the cafe's <laughs> closed. And then Rick goes, why? He says, I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. And the guy walks up. Here's your winnings. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, the major tells Laszlo, essentially, come back to us to a concentration camp or you're going to die. Yeah. That's basically the threat. Yeah. Uh, Ilsa and Laszlo go home. We know they're still being watched. And then she says, what happened when you talked to Rick? And he said, he says that Rick said to ask your wife. Mm-hmm. She doesn't clean, come clean to him either. Nope. Yeah. This is where this is. And he gives her the opportunity. Mm-hmm. He says, look, I know you thought I was dead. What happened when you were in Paris? And she says nothing. And what is the music we hear when she says nothing? Yeah. You must remember this. A kiss is but a kiss mm-hmm. as time goes by. Um, and so the music is telling us that she's lying. Yeah. Ilsa, I... Yes? When I was in the concentration camp, were you lonely in Paris? Yes, Victor, I was. I know how it is to be lonely. Is there anything you wish to tell me? No, Victor, there isn't. Does Laszlo know she's lying? Yes. I agree. 100 percent mm-hmm. Does Laszlo love her? Yes. I agree. 
hundred percent. As much as a guy like that can love someone, he does. He loves her as he loves her. Right. It's yeah. not a passionate romantic love, yeah. but it is a love. There's a song, uh, Paul Simon song, that's one of my favorites of all times, which is Hearts and Bones. Mm, great song. Unbelievable song. There's a line in it where it's basically a couple talking, and mm -hmm. the one person says, why can't you love me f uh, for who right. I am, where yeah. I am? And the, other, and the response is, because that's not the way the world is, baby. Yep. This is how I love you, baby. This is how I love you, baby. That's about Carrie Fisher. It is. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That is so haunting, that song to me. And he put, he put their conversations about their breaking up into, his, oh my into God. that song. I had no idea. That's the stuff she says. Why can't you love me for who I am? Where I am. Because that's not the way the not, world is. Not for who I am, where I am. That means where I'm at in my it, journey. In my journey. At, at my this moment yeah. in my life. This is where I am right now. Why yeah. can't you love me for that? Because right. that's not the way the world is. This is how I love you. Mm -hmm. You know? And that seems like, you know, Victor Laszlo loves her as he lo can love her. Right. He doesn't love anyone else. Nope. He, I think he adores her. He yes, absolutely. Um, but that's not like what the relationship with Rick is. More primal. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, and he's going to go off to some meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and... And then she watches him go, and then she heads off to go to Rick's. Yes. And she comes into Rick's, and again, she begs, begs mm -hmm. for the, the transit visas. But Rick calls her out. Yeah, he does. So, How does you'll he say her? anything. Yeah. You'll say, I don't trust you, because you'll say anything to get those visas. And she he turns around, and she has a gun on him. Yep. Yeah. Well, but his, here's the question is, is there a time when... Uh, we talked about a judgment in Nuremberg. Mm. We talked about this several times mm -hmm. where ordinary morality doesn't apply and there's bigger things. Sure. But if the bigger things coincide with your selfish desires to not own up to the bullshit you're doing, then it gets muddy. Well, is that what she's, is that why she's, well, she didn't come clean to Laszlo. Yeah, no, that's a great point. If she so, didn't come clean to Laszlo and she didn't come clean to Rick until later on in the yeah. process, which is where this is where she finally comes. clean. But I think there, I mean, this is the difference, right? Their romance is so primal, so tumultuous that it has to have these uh, slamming yeah. head moments and yeah. Rick's drunkenness and then her uh, like letting him kind of maybe reconnect with her the next day. But then now having this kind of like extreme, that's the way their love is. It was so overwhelming, so powerful. It's like English Patient with uh, Chris and Scott Thomas and right. Ray Fiennes. Their love is so powerful, so overwhelming that it cannot exist. Because it will destroy them both. And so um, in that moment when she pulls the gun, it is a selfish moment. But he walks up to her and says, you'd be doing me a favor if you shoot me. I, I think. And that's the extreme nature of their romance. It's not I, a negative. It's just extreme. I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think the, the thing that's playing with her is the mix of her fear to come clean. Yes. Along with what are genuine, genuine feelings for Victor Laszlo. Yeah. Who I do think she loves. Yes. And genuine feelings about what is right for the world. Like, I, ge yeah. I genuinely think she, I think in her head, and, and of course what we do in life is we rationalize mm -hmm. one negative choice with another positive choice. <laughs> yes. So I think she's gone in her brain, the resistance and the war against the Nazis is more important than, one might say, the needs of a couple of little people don't mean a hill of beans. Hill of beans. That's what she's, she's kind of thought that in her head. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the most important thing I have to do is to get Victor Laszlo out of Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And, and I, then she uses that to not come clean and not deal with her own bullshit. Because right. if she'd come to him and said, listen, believe me, don't believe me, 
I love you passionately, but yeah. I need to, this is what we're in the middle of a war and this mm -hmm. is what has to happen. This is more important. And if you want to hate me and think I'm a liar, that's fine. But so, I want to get those, that, I, we would feel differently, I think, about mm -hmm. this moment. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't do that. No. Until she then, until he calls her on it, as you say, right. and she falls apart. And there's this moment where she turns away from him. And that's, some, remember we had Michael Grant Terry on the show and we did Boogie Nights. Yes. He talked about backting, yes. which is acting with your back. <laughs> she does some nice backting. She does. Really good backting. Um, and, uh, and then he goes to her, mm -hmm. and he takes her in his arms, mm -hmm. and all those barriers between them come down. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. It really is. It really is good. So for all the bitching I do about it, it's what leads to this moment. So that's that's well, what's and if they handled their shit better in the first place, we, we don't would have a movie. We don't have a moment. Yeah, it's true. Like this is the nature of, you know, I know, yeah. and it's true. We're all fucked up people, and we're fucked up human beings, and we do things and blah blah blah. But like watching it objectively and then watching it subjectively are two different things. Uh, so, naturally, you know, so yeah. you, I can subjectively understand what's happening and relate to her, both sides, but objectively watching from the outside, she is she's pissing you she's off. She's pissing me off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a, a great point. moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I and what, what, we cut away or something like that, and then we come back to them, and he's looking out the window. Yeah, and she's standing there, or she's looking out the window. He's standing there, and I wonder. Like I thought initially that had sex, but no, it was the coming together that was in essence their sex because they can't because they can't consummate the affair again. It was ripping down the walls and reconnecting again. That's what they wanted. I, I, it's a really interesting choice to cut away. Yep. And, and part of it, of course, is we're going to skip some time. Yes. Because we don't need to rehear a bunch of things. Well, that that's we what I knew. thought, that they had sex. But, but, but yeah, but that's the thing. They're still dressed. Some, something happened. Yes. There was, I... Because I, they do kiss. My sense is they probably didn't have sex, but they were intimate. Yes. Emotionally in some... How physical it was, I don't really know. Agreed. And this is when she finally tells the story. And it mm -hmm. is, a, you know, a young girl. Yes. A heroic man. She 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 married him. And then he gets captured. And then this right. is the... You know, these are the reasons I made the choices yes. I made. Yeah. And had you told him this story... <laughs> A while ago, we wouldn't have, we would not have a film called Casablanca. Casablanca. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened. No. Um, and the, at the end, she just gives it, gives over completely to him. I can't fight anymore. I ran away from you once. I can't do it yeah. again. What do you think about that? Do you think she was being this way? Do you think she stayed away? She did all this because she knew, like, her love for him was stronger than her love for Victor. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so too. Yep. I think that in terms of passion, primal, as yeah. you said, mm -hmm. is that this is something bigger than she, ad she admires Victor. Mm -hmm. She has deep feelings of affection and love and, and he adores her. And if there were no Rick, they would have sure. a great marriage. Sure. But there's something about her and Rick that is undeniable. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly the chemistry between them is, it shows that. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, he tells, and, and then she says, I don't know what's right any longer. You have to think for both of us. For all of us. That's a lot to lay on a dude that you dumped at the train station sure. in Paris. It's like, okay, <laughs> we're stuck in Casablanca, and there are two exit pieces, and the Nazis are after <laughs> us, and there's all this crazy shit. Figure it out, Rick. <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> I can't handle it. Yeah. And then the final, I wish I didn't love you so much. Yeah. 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 So this is a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. So the, the meeting, the, the underground meeting has gotten out and the, the police have obviously raided it and Victor Laszlo and Carl, our friendly uh, waiter, mm -hmm. are running from it. They end up back at Rick's. Rick sees them. And of course, he's got Ilsa in his room with him. Mm -hmm. He sends Carl up to, to take Ilsa home yeah. and then he goes to talk to Laszlo. 
It was a really neat scene. Yeah. Don't you sometimes wonder if it's worth all this? I mean, what you're fighting for. We might as well question why we breathe. If we stop breathing, we'll die. If we stop fighting our enemies, the world will die. Here's what I think that I think that's I think that's exactly what Laszlo thinks. Except what Laszlo should know is there are all sorts of people who stop fighting. Yeah. Is that you, we can't we have no choice about breathing, and Laszlo has no choice about fighting. Yeah. But most people do. Most people choose right. to resist the enemy or not. Yeah. Yeah. And and his response, Rick's response to the world will die is it'll be out of its misery. That's some dark. Mm-hmm. Rick's got a dark because he's seen the darkness, yeah. you know? And again, Laszlo looks right at Rick and of course, he knows that Rick is in love with his wife. Yeah. And says, You know how you sound, Mr. Blaine? Like a man who's trying to convince himself of something he doesn't believe in his heart. Laszlo sees through Rick on a pretty fundamental level. Yeah. And then he says, No one is to blame. I ask no explanations. I, I, it's funny. I don't want to hang with Victor Laszlo. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have a drink with Victor Laszlo. Mm-hmm. I don't want to joke about mm-hmm. old movies with Victor Laszlo. Right. He's a, He's really a good person yeah. in, this, in this kind of unreachable way. He's a noble motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we'd rather hang out with Rick. We'd rather hang out with Rick. Yeah. Victor did ask for homework, though, every time. Oh, oh he did. Absolutely. Extra credit. <laughs> Extra credit. He cleaned the chalkboards. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, and who comes in the middle of this conversation <laughs> is the French. Yeah. The French police, and they arrest him. Yep. And there is a look from Rick as he leaves mm-hmm. that I find to be totally uns- inscrutable. Like, I don't, is he happy? Is he sad? Mm. Is he, ang- like, clearly there's a wheels are turning in his head, but I don't know what they mean. And then we go the next day and Rick is talking to Louie and he admits, I have the visas and I want to use them myself. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is not what we expected. Right. And I'm going to take the girl. Right. Yeah. And not even that, but he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to release Laszlo. You're going to stop following. I'm going to hand the, the, the papers to Laszlo and you are going to arrest him at Rick's. Right. How do you feel when this is going on? Well, it's you asking me how I felt the first time, yeah. Because like I obviously know what's happening, but the I think the first time I was surprised um, and also a bit put off because I, I I this is not going to make him a hero. No, this makes him selfish, and yeah. there is a larger picture here, and uh, he's sacrificing the larger picture for his own selfish needs. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really uh, and 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 Humphrey Bogart plays it so well that you're like, wait, right. is this. For real? And the movie lays it out so well because she says, you need to think for the both of us. Yeah. So, and she says, I can't resist you anymore. I can't keep running from you. And so she surrenders the power of the relationship back to him. And Rick just got the love of his life back. Right. Yeah. Right. And, there, and there's this moment uh, where Louis says to him, Ricky, I'm going to miss you. Apparently, you're the only one in Casablanca who has even less scruples than I. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what I find so fascinating about that yeah. is I don't think that's true. No, I don't but, think that's what Louis thinks of Rick. No. In fact, he said he was a sentimentalist in the right. last scene. Um, Rick goes off to see Ferrari. They make a deal to sell the cafe, including Sam's contract. They take good care of Sam. And then Louis comes to Rick's and then he goes to hide. And then Il- in comes Ilsa. And she says, Richard Victor thinks I'm waiting. I'm waiting with him. Didn't you tell him? Yeah. Ilsa thinks she's going to be with Rick. Yeah. At this moment. Mm-hmm. So she's, I mean, like... Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating where everybody's head's at. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Rick is 100% sure which way he's going to go? Yeah, I do. And I think that's 
what allows him to have those faces, the inscrutable face you're talking about, so no one can tell what right. he's going to do because he cannot give one thing away because he knows this is a place that people are trained to see the lie. They're trained to see the double cross coming. They're tra- the ones right. that are good ones, the ones that are empowered, they're trained to see those things coming. So Rick can't have, even have a moment of hesitation about what he's doing because it will betray the twist or the the betrayal he's going to do. When did he decide? I think when she told him about why she left, I think when she finally gave him what he's been wanting this whole time, which is an explanation, then Rick can go back to being the Rick from Paris who understands that there's a bigger, uh, um, bigger uh, stakes here and then him. And that's in that scene uh, when she pulls the gun on him and she finally gives in and they hug and they kiss and what, and they have the conversation. Uh, that's what he wanted. That's all he wanted. I, I think there's mm, one more thing. Mm. I think I think he wanted that, mm. and he wanted the truth that the primal love they yes. felt yes. was real. Yes, Abs- validation yeah. that it was real. It was real. Right. And, and once again, English patient, same thing. When he carries her uh, from the plane crash into the cave, she, she's wearing the thimble, and he says right. to her, "You're wearing the thing." She says, "Of course, I'm wearing it. I've always loved you." And right. that's all he, and he starts to cry, like right. just incredible cry because that's all, sometimes that's all you want to hear is that when someone leaves you who you were so madly in love with, it out of true. nowhere that it was true because you doubt it. Because yeah. why would someone leave you in that way if they didn't? Right. If they did rather. Right. So yeah. But I th- and I think there's one piece, I don't, in, again, we don't know, but in my opinion, what s- makes him decide is the scene with Laszlo. Is that he has to know yes. that Laszlo is a, is is truly worthy. Very good point, Steve. Of Absolutely. This. Yep. Is that when Laszlo says what he believes, it's like fighting is like breathing, mm-hmm. and, and that he says, "I make no judgments. I ask no explanations." Yep. Is that he goes, "Okay, this guy knows mm-hmm. about my love for this person, mm-hmm. and he is still like being." Mm-hmm. I think that, but but it's a big decision. And he loves Ilsa enough to know that she's better off with him than with Rick. Yeah, and that's a, that's well, that's, that's how a you big thing. That's how you show you love someone too. Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. letting them go is um, the right thing. And there's Laszlo, and we're going to hand over the papers, and Louis comes in to arrest him. And what does Rick do? Pulls, Pulls the gun, gun on him. Yeah. Pulls a gun. <laughs> and I love this moment. And now we're going like, oh shit, yeah, what's going on? And I love, I love the moment. Um, he goes, he goes, Louis, I don't want to shoot you, but I will if you take one more step. Oh, he says the gun is pointed right at your heart. Remember, this gun is pointed right at your heart. That is my least vulnerable spot. And uh, Louis, he says, call the airport to tell them they're coming. Does Louis call the airport? No, he calls. He calls Major Strasser. This is interesting. Yeah. So I don't think Louis knows which side he's on at this no. point. Well, this is the, Louis yeah. needs some encouragement. He is not going to go be a hero on right. his own. Right, right. You know, he's waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah. We head off to the airport, which, by the way, it the planes, when we actually see real planes, mm-hmm. that is the Van Nuys Airport. <laughs> this plane, yeah. which we see in the distance in the fog, is a cardboard cutout. <laughs> it's very it small. Of course it is. And Hal Wallace said, that just looks so fake. Yeah. We, need, we need people working on the plane so they have little people as the mechanics walking around it <laughs> so that it's to scale. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's some Hollywood magic. Ridiculous. Right there. I love the fog of the airport. Great. I think oh, it's yeah. really important. Yeah. yeah. Rick makes Louise fill out the papers and he wants them to put Laszlo's name in. Mm-hmm. Ilsa is sh- is genuinely shocked. Yep. And there's this great camera push in on all of them yeah. as we they all realize, oh, Rick's actually gonna be a hero. Yeah. You know? This is what he's really doing. Yeah. Um and then we get the speech. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, like along with I could have been a contender and these few others like this is one of the great, yeah. the great speeches of all time. And I know I'm going to cut to it. Yeah. So let's hear Rick talk to Elsa. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have parents. We didn't have. We, we lost it until you came to Casablanca. We got it back last night. Said I would never leave you. And you never will. But I've got a job to do too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't be any part of. Ilza, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Now, now. He's looking at you, kid. It's his way of telling her he loves her. He really does. It's funny. It'd be interesting to meet Rick pre-Paris because mm. he was some kind of hero. Right. You know, he was, he was an idealist. He's an idealist. Mm-hmm. And then that got destroyed. And I think, you know, there's the, the great quote, which I can't remember where it comes from, that sometimes we're stronger at the broken places. Yeah. I think that's Rick now. Mm-hmm. I think Rick is going to be a much better version of who he was before all yep. this yep. now. A true hero. Yeah. And he had to go through some some shit and yep. make some real sacrifices. Yep. And then he goes to Laszlo. And what he says to Laszlo is fascinating. Yeah. Which is he says, she did her best to convince me that she was still in love with me. For your sake, she pretended and I let her pretend. Why is he doing that? It's because he respects him. They both know he's lying. Uh, well, that was mean, my other question. I don't mean Ilsa and Rick. I mean Laszlo and Rick. They both know Rick yeah. is lying. But Rick is doing this man to man to say, she's yours. She's yours. Yeah. And, she, and, and she's seeing him give her this gift too. Yeah. And so to me, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an, it's the noble thing to it's do. It's noble. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think it, I don't think it's effective because I don't think Laszlo believes it. No, but it's effective in the way that Laszlo receives yeah. that because it's respectful. He, he gets it. Laszlo gets it. And then, and Laszlo's response is, I understand. Which is why I know yeah. he gets it and he shakes his it. hand. And he says, welcome back to the fight. Yes. This time I know our side will win because the, the heroic good guy needs the, uh, shifty, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't obey the rules guy to help mm-hmm. him out. Yep. The Victor Laszlo's of the world can't win the wars by themselves. Yep. They need some Ricks, yep. you know? Um, and the Ricks can't win the war by themselves either. They need to be led by the Laszlo's. That's right. Because the really, they would say, they would just stay in the in Rick's cafe and yeah. and drink without or, some motivation. Or, or they would get too emotional in the battles and too extreme and blah, blah, blah. You need the Laszlo's that are right. a little more calmer to see the bigger picture. Right. So, yeah. that, I think that's totally true. Mm. Um, a lot of great looks between them. We have our goodbyes. Yeah. Um, they get on the plane. And, you know, Louis, like, you are a sentimentalist. <laughs> um, and who shows up but Major Strasser? Yeah. Um, and I'd forgotten about this. Yeah. Well, this is, this is so key. So we said they had no ending when, yeah. they, when they started making this film. So much so, they didn't know who Ilsa was going to end up with. Wow. And Ilsa kept coming to Michael Curtiz and saying, which one of these guys should I love more? And Curtis said, I have no idea. Just play it even. <laughs> Which is such a terrible direction. Terrible. Right. And of course, she doesn't play it even. Right. It's not because the scenes are different. Right. You can't play those scenes with Rick the same way you're playing those scenes. With Absolutely not. They're yeah. just different. Um, and 
Julius and Philip Epstein come back and they're going, how do we end it? How do we end it? And they come up with this scene with Major Strausa. Right. And Strausa comes and he has said, you got to stop the plane. you got to stop the plane. He starts to go to the phone. Rick has his gun out. Don't go to the phone. He goes to the phone. Um, Strausa pulls his own gun and Rick shoots him mm-hmm. and kills him. Right. And then there is this moment. And this is what Julius Epstein and Philip Epstein came up with right at the end, which is Claude Rains looks around and says, Round up the usual suspects. Yep. After the after your people show up, yeah. Yeah, that is the secret to how to solve the problem of this movie. <laughs> and what's funny is, so they're so thrilled they had it. And then Wallace and I think Jack Warner, after they had shot it, found these guys in the set and said, come here. And they brought them to the screening room and showed them the cut scene. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible. And they said, you ruined the movie. This doesn't work. You said this was work. It doesn't work. And the Epstein brothers said, well, you got to have cuts where you show Rick and Louie looking at each other mm-hmm. before he says the line. Yeah. They added those two shots in, and then the scene works. It does. There's a moment of connection with Rick mm-hmm. and Louie, and then he says, round up the usual suspects. Right. And this is where Louie has become a hero. Yeah. He is taken aside. He's not drifting in the wind, and the wind comes from Vichy. In fact, next thing he does, he opens up a bottle of Vichy water, which is very famous, like mm-hmm. sparkling water, pours himself a glass, and then throws it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Symbolic. It's very symbolic. And they walk off into the fog... And they say their final line, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Which was added later. Oh. Dubbed in. Dubbed in. How Wallace said, this isn't working yet. We need one final line. And How B. Wallace wrote that final line. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So this is just this weird, you know, we talk, yeah. you know, uh, so much time I spend in my film classes mm-hmm. talking to my students about Get your script locked. Yeah. Get know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> Have everything organized. Plan ahead because that is the way to make an efficient movie. Yeah. And Casablanca is none of those things. <laughs> Number three on the AFI list. <laughs> well, also, I think to be fair to what you tell your students, that is how you should start out. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you can break the rules because well, you're, you have that established like anything, like a martial arts. You can break the rules of martial arts once, once you have the yep. technique and the funda- fundamentals down. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and... Movies never go how you think they're going to go. No. You're at some point, you're going to be in post, you're going to be on the set, and things are not working, yeah. and you got to figure out how to make them work. Exactly. Uh, the movie came out right after the Germans invaded Casablanca. Wow. So suddenly, Casablanca is on the front of newspapers huh. and on the newsreels, and so it gave a big boost to the movie. And this yeah. film that was just kind of one of 50 suddenly becomes a big hit. At the Oscars, it's nominated for a bunch of awards. It wins for screenplay. It wins for uh, director. And now it's gonna, it, Best Picture comes up, and Hal Wallace is the producer. Mm-hmm. And he has put so much passion into this film, and they announce Casablanca for Best Picture. How Wallace slowly gets to his feet, starts straightening his tuxedo, and looks up, and Jack Warner is running up to the stage. <laughs> and Jack Warner accepts the Oscar, oh, of and Wallace doesn't get it. There it is. Wallace says it's one of the worst moments in his life. Wow. Yeah. Well, can you imagine? Yeah. Like your trip. best picture Oscar yeah. and some guy, I mean, your boss goes your boss and just takes it. Who, who's like, just runs the studio. He yeah. wasn't like running the film. I mean, he didn't make that film. I mean, he's a powerful, important figure. Sure. But he took the Oscar. Yeah. Ego knows no bounds. Yeah. Man. But then it's also, this is by 1977, Casablanca was the number one movie played on television. It was played on TV wow. more than any other film. Amazing. And that's how it really becomes this beloved classic is right. over the years and people going back to it and going back to it. Yeah. So, John, yeah. what are your final thoughts on Casablanca? Well, this has been a fun episode um, because when I walked into this episode, I wasn't 100% 
enjoy I didn't 100% enjoy the rewatching the film to be honest with you it's yeah. it's not my kind of film it's not probably but now after having talked about it with you I feel like I could go back and enjoy it even more and maybe have a better experience watching it again because there was things I was working out as I was watching it and some of the you know so it's an older film so it's 40s so it's going to be trapped in some of the mechanics of the 40s films right. of the 40s sure and I have to like sometimes break the habit of comparing everything to Citizen Kane because it's so Goddamn good, and well, it came out Citizen 1941. Kane to nothing. Yeah, so I'm yeah. saying, but like, I go, if you can make Citizen Kane, why can't you be making the same kind of films? And, you know, <laughs> I ask myself that every day. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I think there's so much about this film that is really incredible. The, the scripts are great. The dialogue, I'm sorry, is great. The the back and forths are fantastic. The acting is amazing, and those lines still work in 2017. They still work. They're still they still elicit a grin or a smile, or a moment of reflection, or movement, or emotional moment, those uh, lines still work. And uh, it was enjoyable to spend some time with these characters and these actors. And doing this episode makes me want to go back and see the movie and kind of see it through a different light. The, it's funny. In a lot of ways, I had a similar experience to you because it wasn't a film I had watched a mm. whole bunch. I didn't really know it that well. And I went back to it kind of you know, not sure how mm. I was going to feel about it. And part of it is it sort of depends on whether or not I watch the movie and then do research. In this case, I had done a lot of research right. and then watched the movie. So I was more tied into certain things about the film. Yeah. Um, and, and in particular, this idea of the refugees mm-hmm. and this expat community and all those supporting characters. And, and they were so interesting and fun and moving that that sort of supported me a lot. And the, the complexity of this love triangle is one that I don't think you ever kind of get around. You know, mm. in a weird way, it's like one of the things that makes Rocky great is that Rocky loses. Yeah. Part of what makes this movie great is that the guy you like doesn't get the girl. Yeah. Is that, it, and that is correct, mm-hmm. that this is what's supposed to happen, is what's supposed to happen is she's supposed to go off with Victor Laszlo yeah. and Rick is supposed to go off to be some kind of rebel working with Louis to fight against the Nazis. Sure. And that is what's supposed to happen. And that is right. And that hurts. Yeah. It is a painful moment. And because, you know, life, we don't actually get to go the way we don't right. you know sometimes there are things that are bigger and more important and that's what happens but i but i would say that i i don't necessarily sense pain at the end to me uh he has uh been validated yes i and agree so he can love again yeah and that's so he can believe again in not just love but in the cause in the fight and what lazo says to him you know like I think it's great to see you back on this fighting side. Yeah. Great to see you fighting. That's what essentially is happening to Rick is Rick is finally coming off the sidelines and he's ready to fight again. And he's more mature. He's more well-rounded after this experience. Yeah. And he's a better human being for letting her go because it's the right thing to do. And so he's heroic at the end. And so I never, I don't feel bad for Rick at the I end. Don't, I agree. I feel I happy agree. that he has uh, come to terms with things and he's at peace. You, you know what's great? It's so interesting that I hadn't quite that that you really kind of put into perspective for me mm. is one way you could look at this is this is like the middle act of a hero's journey. Mm. Is that is that yes, this is a romance and a love triangle and a refugee story and a political story and a war story mm-hmm. and all those things. But it's also like if you imagine Act One of this hero's journey, yeah. his Star Wars mm-hmm. is that he this young American guy went off to fight against the dictatorship in mm-hmm. Spain and fight against bad guys in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and then Act Two is and this 
and this ended in act two he fell in love mm -hmm. and his heart was broken and this is in empire strike back where he has to f face the real demons and that he comes through that trial mm -hmm. of resolving this conflict and all the darkness with his heart so he can go off onto act three and rejoin the fight as a much stronger and uh wiser hero wiser. than he was before absolutely yeah um I don't know how many Star Wars Casablanca comparisons there have been, <laughs> but uh, this is what we got on the cinema. There we go. So that is what we think about Casablanca. <laughs> of course, we always want to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page at Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube, I think on Google Play. Yeah. We're going to be on TuneIn very soon, I yes. think. Um, and you can subscribe to us all those places. You can leave comments for us on YouTube. You can leave reviews on iTunes. Um, as uh, we mentioned many times, you can become <laughs> fans on Patreon, and maybe you'll hear the A to Z theory on patreon.com slash files. As always, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram at Outlaw Nation every Thursday morning and uh, uh, the Top Ten Show every Tuesday morning, and we started doing Thunderdomes on Sundays. So uh, find us there uh, on the SK Plus podcast channel, the Schmozno Plus podcast channel. Check out all that stuff. Visit us on our website at cinephiles.net. And that is it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.